Welcome to the Sports Honchos Radio Show, part of the Go Sports Media Company Radio Network. We're hoping you're here because you've just about had it with everyone and everything else. And you're looking for a pair of good-looking guys to tell it like it is, like it was, and how it should be. Or maybe you've got nothing else to do right now and you just need to waste some time. Either way, you might as well turn it up because it's time for the boys to get in your face, under your skin, over the top, and out of bounds. And now, here are your honchos, Paul Cuthbert and Robert Cuny. Are you ready, Mr. Cuny? Oh, I am so ready, Mr. Cuthbert. Let's go! Wasn't I loud, baby? Surprise, surprise, surprise. And it's 8.30, not 7.30 for all of you folks going, where the hell the honchos? Well, we're here. It's time for the Super Honcho Super Bowl Hangover Special. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, right here in the great state of New York. And ladies and gentlemen, trying to bring on your favorite honcho mom, this is the Robert Cooney from the great state of Maryland. How you doing, buddy? Greetings and salutations. And before you put us on milk cartons, because you were sitting there anxiously with your ear to the radio at 7.30, we're here. We're alive. As I said, I almost forgot to turn my microphone on, which would be awkward since, you know, we've only been doing this for years. But we're here. And thank you, as always, for listening, even when we don't show up quite on time. But we're here for a little while anyway. We sure are, uh, pal. Yeah. And we thought, you know, after last week's show, we'd have a much more serious show this week. And shorten it. (laughs) Shorten it. I'm not sure it can get much longer, but yes, we we actually are going to finish the show on Wednesday instead of on Thursday morning. We thought we'd do that for a change. Oh, just, man. Just for you all. Because we are those kind of guys. Ladies and gentlemen, yes. welcome aboard. Mr. Cooney, great to see you again. I know nobody else can see you, but I can see you. Isn't it great? Because we, uh, by a show that's not sponsored by Skype, then we are Skyping each other on the video to see each other's. It's almost like looking into a mirror, uh, a handsome mirror, because we are both so very handsome. It's a very myopic, handsome mirror, I suppose. I guess if you squint hard enough, uh, you can see some, you know, handsomeness. I feel like it's uh, the movie Twins with DeVito and Schwarzenegger. When, he, when Schwarzenegger says, it's me, I'm your twin brother, Julius. And Vincent goes, oh, yeah, it's like looking in a mirror. Well, that's what I feel like right now. Hey, I won't man. say who's Schwarzenegger and who's DeVito. I'll let you, y'all, figure it out. Okay, we're both Schwarzenegger. That's right, buddy. Absolutely. Hey, can we fill everybody in on what we were grooving to a little early before the show started? Yeah, as we uh, get ready one day to do our music, all music podcast. The, the music, music conscious. We were rocking out to some Steely Dan. And it's good stuff, man. And I thought that it was going to play when I said we were rocking out to Steely Dan. Oh, there it is. Give everybody that radio voice, buddy. Come on. Hey, on. everybody. Coming up now live on W Honcho. Hey, this just in from the National Weather Service. There's going to be an avalanche of classic rock. (laughs) Traffic and weather together on the sevens. I am Jackson Cheese. You you are on the wrong show, my brother. (laughs) I am Pete Moss, and I'm joined by Less Humid. (laughs) Playing the most music. Thank you. Buddy. I think I gave myself got, an aneurysm. Got to get your cell phone indeed.com and look look up old radio stations or oldie stations. Ow. DJ needed, baby. Come yep. on. Give me a nice give me a nice yacht rock station or oh. you know some uh some classic rock from the 60s and 70s. I'm there. I'm your guy. Yacht rock, man. Love it. Love hey, it. Man, I can take it right up to the post with the best of them. You sure can, buddy. 
Better than James Harden. Oy vey. <sighs> Hold on, I'll give you one of those for James or, Harden. Or better than the United States Olympic no. hockey team. Oh! Are people still watching the Olympics? Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, are people still uh, watching the Olympics? Yeah, are they it's still crazy. Un- We've done, what, two weeks in a row now? And it's just, I'm looking at the uh, the showgram show sheet here. Let me try mm-hmm. and say that real quick. Yeah. Um, the Olympics has not been on. Neither no. of these. Yeah. No. Have you watched any of it? No, not at all. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just, it's not something that, that uh, rings the bell, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Summer Olympics, maybe. I just, I don't have Olympic fever anymore. But, you know, tonight, today, 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 tonight, tonight whatever, today. whatever we're talking about, it's all about the football. You know, and they make football into an Olympic sport. Well, football's maybe. over, bro. It's over. We're not talking football tonight. Yeah, we're up in morning. It's all over. It's all over, man. It's done. Talk to you uh, in August. Morning. I am glad, by the way, that you are not going on vacation this week because there's just a jam-packed sack of sports to talk about, and it would be untimely if we had to move it to next week. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm actually going to see uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning next week in Tampa Bay. And the Oilers. Yeah, well, and really the Oilers. Yeah, Mc, they call him McJesus. I'm going to be there for the religious experience. Now, who will you root for? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to Tampa. I'm going to be rooting for the home team. Oh, okay. I'm actually, you know... We're going because of my little guy. He's a big hockey fan now. We took him to his first night of the game. So we're going down to see Mickey, mm-hmm. and we're going down to see my folks, and we're going to see Jesus and Stamkos. And we, we like – how can you not like the Lightning? Stanley Cup champions two it's years true. in a row. Are and, your, uh, uh, knocked, your knocked my, my uh, you know, my team's rival out twice. Right. In, you know, the not Islanders. our rival. Ruined, bum, 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 bum. Just All like right, Tom you're... Wilson ruined the Rangers. Or, and actually, no, he turned the Rangers around, I guess. You did. You're welcome. But the Lightning have just, I mean, look at the Islanders this year. Whew. Can't yeah. recover. Um, are your parents down in Del Boca Vista? Have they retired down to the Sunshine State? They sure have, pal. They're on the Gulf side. A little outside of Tampa. That's the reason we're going to right. Tampa. To Tampa. There you go. There you go. There you go. Now you guys can put it all together out there in radio land. We have the smartest and handsomest and sweetest smelling listeners. We sure do. <laughs> They'll figure it out. That's because all the Manscaped products they bought a few months back. Uh, we don't mention that word here in the honchos anymore. <laughs> Boy, they were, that was a lot of fun. It was fun. The good old days of telling you what I was uh, trimming myself with. The old Rusty Menorah. Oh, back man. better than ever. Hey, that's that, was, that should be my Yacht Rock DJ name. <laughs> Rusty Menorah. Having <laughs> weather together on the sevens. This is Yacht Rock Radio. I'm Rusty Menorah. And now... But no, what, what would Bryson. my what would my yacht rock name be? Now, like toss toss the uh, the tr- the traffic the traffic on the ones to me. <laughs> what would your uh, what would your DJ name be? Uh, uh, now traffic. Here's our tra- ace traffic reporter, Pete Zaria. Hey, 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 gymnasium. How you doing there, Rusty? I'm up in the helicopter, chapter one, and uh, looking down on the traffic there, and it's. Uh, Pretty busy down there. If you have to make a left turn on the exit 56 right now, you are, as they would say, screwed. Back to you. Now, uh, thank you. And now sports with Richard Gozinia. <laughs> we call him Dick around here. Oh, man. All right, buddy. Let's get going here. <laughs> we weren't right. well. Let's fire the show up. We got lots All to right. talk about. Let's get into Let's it. Let's do it. Because you know me and you, 
<laughs> you know, this will just roll on. It'll all be about Yacht Rock and Yacht Rock names yeah. and music and all that other stuff. It'll be 11 o'clock, and we haven't talked a single minute about the Super Bowl. That's right. And we got I have a whole segment I want to do on the Daytona 500 coming up this Sunday. Uh, that'll be in the second hour. <laughs> As I said, in Paul's new solo Racing Honchos podcast. Um, all right, let's dive in then. It's uh, episode 52, friends, and, you know, our new feature, Who Wore It Best? Last week, we had arguably arguably, perhaps, the greatest linebacker in NFL history, good old uh, Dick Butkus. Best name anyway. This week, wearing number 52 for the 52nd episode, we have perhaps the second greatest linebacker in NFL history, one Ray Anthony Lewis of your Baltimore Ravens. Nice. So just just to give you some of his bona fides, he's a Hall of Famer, of course. Uh, All-time Pro Bowler, seven-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl 35 MVP. We won't talk about the extracurricular activities from that Super None Bowl. None of our business. Uh, Hall of Fame All-2000s team, two-time AP Defensive Player of the Year, and the two-time Pro Football Writers of America Defensive Player of the Year. Um, 31 interceptions, 20 fumble recoveries, 41 and a half sacks, over 2,000 tackles, and over 1,500 tackles for loss. The man was a beast. And when you have a guy who plays linebacker, and is that versatile? I'm like, Butkus was great. I don't think as versatile as Ray Lewis. I don't think he had the hands for interceptions that Ray Lewis has. And and anytime you have a linebacker of the caliber of Butkus or Lewis, it takes a lot of pressure off that defensive line. And it takes some of the pressure off your secondary. The people in the middle, just like with any sport, the guys up the middle, those are the ones you uh, you have to depend upon. You have a strong middle a strong core like that, your defense is going to be good at worst. I have a strong core now, too, since I've been training. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear your core is not molten like mine. Um, so I have a, uh, a clip here of old Ray Lewis. Now, it's not a, you know, again, with football, well, actually all of these, it's, it's hard to hear uh, sports clips of, you know, great plays and, and so on. But one thing that Ray Lewis was known for, especially after he stopped playing, was what an inspirational and motivational speaker he is. Um, I know people mock some of his work on ESPN because it sounds like he's an old time, you know, Southern preacher when he's talking about sports highlights. But when he's really when when you want him to be inspirational and motivational um, and he turns it on, it's really quite extraordinary. So here's just about a 45 second or so clip um, of Ray Lewis from his academy. He has a football academy. I I think it's in Florida, but I'm not really sure. Somewhere down south um, as a graduate of the U. So, um, and he's from Florida. So here it is. Here's uh, on why the lion is the fiercest creature in the jungle. Roll tape. So enjoy. If the lion is the king of the jungle, how can he be the king of the jungle? If he's not the biggest, the elephant is probably one of the biggest. He can't be the fastest because that's a cheetah. He can't be the smartest. So he's not the biggest, the fastest, or the smartest. So how does a lion become the king of the jungle? His mentality. That's the only difference of a lion and an elephant. When a lion walks up and sees an elephant, he thinks lunch. An elephant thinks run. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all mentality. Because when a male lion walks up, He may be outnumbered by a pack of hyenas, 
but I'm king of my jungle because of my mentality. So there you go. No Simba references? No, no Lion King reference. I'm sure sure the good people at Disney would not want him. Plus we get sued. Yeah, combining his talents with Disney's talents. Again, especially after what's been following him around after that first Super Bowl win. So anyway, he was talking to a bunch of players in a or potential football players in a weightlifting room talking about how you know you can do anything you set your mind to even if you're not the biggest not the strongest etc and you can find all kinds of clips on the internet of him talking to both his team when he was a player and when he stopped playing very inspirational i would suggest if you are having trouble sleeping though his no joke 34 minute boy hall of fame acceptance speech which just seemed to go on and on and on forever. So if you're having some trouble sleeping, pop that in, you know, pop, call that up on your old tablet, phone, computer, whatever you're using, put that on, you'll be asleep in five minutes. So let me ask you a question, Mr. Cuny. Yes, sir. All of the off-field stuff, which has mm-hmm. been fully documented, and right. like I said, that's has nothing to do with us. Yeah. On the field, um, where do you put them up there? As like, you know, how he played the game and... What do you oh, think like for the I franchise? Said, and if well, first of all, he he and Ed Reed, because Baltimore for and years. I'm not asking no. for the obvious that you stated. I'm saying you. You're a huge football fan. You're a huge football right. guy. Obviously from the area. I know your son's a big fan and all that stuff. And as far as you know, um, who's the head head coach back then again? Are those guys on those runs? It was John Harbaugh, and before that, it was um, Brian Billick. Brian Billick, and yeah. Ted Marchabroda was the first coach, the old Colts coach. Um, That's right. No, I, look, Baltimore has always been a defensive team. And when they had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, who at, at their positions are probably two of the best that ever played the game, um, they were it was they were not in my conference. They were not in my division. So I could watch them and enjoy just watching them play. And, you know, if you could get through Ray Lewis, then you had to deal with, you know, Ed Reed there in the secondary. And he played the game. Again, a lot like Dick Butkus. I mean, it almost seems like Dick Butkus leaves, you wait a couple generations, and you bring the new Dick Butkus in, a guy that people feared. You had to know where Ray Lewis was on the field at all times. You just you could, Your head had to be on a swivel. And again, if you made it through that, that line of defense, then you got into the secondary where Reed could both hit and pick off passes. It was just – it was a thing of beauty to watch. And, and it's nice – I never had to worry about it except maybe every five, seven, eight years, whatever it was, playing the Ravens. So it was never – them winning never impacted, you know, my teams. Well, and uh, what was that like when they came in to the area down there? When the you mean when the, when the Ravens first came to Baltimore? Yeah, the Baltimore, the whole Maryland area um, there and everything well, else. And- so it, much the same as when the Colts were there. I mean, we we had our own team, and they had their team. And we played once in a while, and we didn't really. We had we, our fans weren't really impacted by their fans, and vice versa. And then so when they when the Colts left, I can't speak for everybody, but I know I was bummed out because, you know, I, it, they're the Colts. Why yeah. are the Colts leaving Baltimore? It's not like the Jacksonville Jaguars leaving Jacksonville. This is Baltimore, you know, one of the Tiffany franchises. So when they got another team, I was happy for them. I saw felt bad for the people of Cleveland. But I was happy that they got the team. I thought, you know, they should have been the Colts, but we can go down that road another time. Um, and it was the same thing. Now that the team that I root for, the Commander Skins, are so dysfunctional, um, 
uh, there are a lot of people that, that now the Ravens are used as, you know, if you don't make me happy, I'm going to jump ship to the Ravens. And more there are more Raven fans. Obviously, in Maryland, there's a huge number of Raven fans. But now that's starting to bleed in the D.C. and starting to bleed in Virginia, which used to be, you know, staunch and strictly, uh, you know, wolfskin territory. Mm-hmm. So now it's it's a little more aggressive because there's been a lot more. I mean, two Super Bowls this century for the Ravens and um, squad douche for the Commanders or whatever. For those of you out them. there, uh, squad douche means nothing. Yes, it means bupkis. So, um, but again, I personally I like having a team in Baltimore. I don't root for them, even though technically I'm a Marylander. Well, not te- I'm a Marylander, but technically that should be my team. If um, the commanders move out to Virginia, which the momentum for them getting a stadium, Virginia is great. Now is getting bigger and bigger. If they move out to Virginia, especially they go deeper into Virginia than just like right over the Maryland line. Then I believe it's going to be all purple in Maryland and DC. I think they'll just be the Virginia football team and, and people will go back to the Ravens. Well, not will gravitate towards the Ravens, not go back to the Ravens. It's not like, the Nationals and the Orioles coexisting, which sort of kind of doesn't really work. But the Ravens and the Colts before them always had a a friendly rivalry at worst. You know, at best, they just coexisted and they kind of, you know, it was something to root for. Like it, when the Ravens were in the Super Bowl the last couple of times, I rooted for them because, you know, they're kind of the home team. But I wasn't, I'm not a fan, not like my son, but I want to see them win because it's, you know, Maryland. Hooray. Like that flag behind me. So it's it's not like a Ranger Island thing or a no, Yankees no, no. Mets thing or anything. No, like that. well, it's different again because Rangers Islanders, uh, same division. Got it. Uh, now yeah. now with with Yankees and and Mets, it's not. But ever since interleague play came, you know, you it's they kind of play each other, but it's it's more akin to that. Especially when you look at the success of the Yankees versus the success of the Mets, the success of the Ravens versus the success of the Skins, but it doesn't. Um, it's there's really no rivalry. There's no reason to not like either team. Okay. So now, which is odd because people in Baltimore really don't want to be known as you know, being in the DC area, there's definitely a line drawn between Baltimore people and DC people. And it was a big, it was very problematic when Angelos took over the Orioles and he changed the uniforms. Cause you know, most teams, they have the, the city name when they go on the road and the team name when they're at home. Mm-hmm. And he, he wanted Baltimore to be more of a DC and Maryland team. And so, it would say Orioles at home like it always does. But then on the road, it still said Orioles because he didn't want it to be associated with only Baltimore. And that made a lot of people, myself included, even though I'm not from Baltimore, angry because it's not D.C.'s team. It's it's Baltimore's team. It's yeah. always Baltimore's team. We Baltimore welcomes as many Washington and Virginia fans as want to hop on board the bandwagon if one exists. But it's Baltimore. It's not Washington. It's not the Orioles with no city name. It's not the Baltimore baseball team. It's... Baltimore Orioles. So now, now it's back to. Since then, he's he went back, and now it's Baltimore on the road, and Orioles at home, like it should be. That's good because you sent him an email, didn't you? I, you know, I can't confirm or deny <laughs> that I. Well, good damn. stuff, man. I like that Ray Lewis, great ball player. Uh, good stuff. Great linesman, fierce guy, and a lot of energy. 
And, you know, you think back about those teams and those games and, and those years and everything else in terms of, um, you know, what, how they broke up some of the other teams that were vying for championships back then, you know. But, you know, being up here from New York and looking down and just, um, you know, seeing a new franchise really identify itself and build that fan base. And because, like you said about the Baltimore Colts, Colts I mean, just such an epic franchise history, Johnny Unitas, the whole thing, the blue and the white, and how the city was able to really kind of reinvent itself under yep. a new brand and everything else. And, and yeah, the guy, I mean, it's amazing, that, you know, when they left Cleveland and everything came here, came down to Baltimore, how bad that was, how awful that was for the the Browns fans. So I think if you're, if you're not from the area, everybody outside was like, how could you do that to that fan base? Right. And obviously it doesn't matter now they have the Baltimore fans. and Baltimore when the Colts were there, I don't know if as much with the Ravens now, but when the Colts were there, were I mean, the Colts were part of the fabric of Baltimore. The players lived in Baltimore. They were part of the community. So it wasn't just a football team that was taken. It was like the heart of the city was ripped out. Even more so, I mean, there's great passion for the Orioles in Baltimore and for the Ravens, but I don't think either ever matched how much passion there was for the Colts. I mean, you know, people lived and died for the Colts. Like in every city, they're with their team, but, I mean, it's just... They were the original. I saw it firsthand. Yeah. Just how much... I mean, the the stadium, the old Memorial Stadium, was literally, you know, surrounded by apartments, and it was, like, dropped in the middle of a neighborhood. I love, you know, Camden Yards and and M&T Bank. Great location, great stadiums. But, you know, they're right there off the highway, Memorial Stadium, you had to go deep into the neighborhoods of Baltimore. Um, well, the one stadium. Yeah. Memorial was for both Orioles and Colts. But you had to go into the neighborhood. So it was literally Baltimore's neighborhood team. It was like one of the one of the guys. Kind of like the Cubs. Yes. Yeah. The way they're situated within their city. But the Colt fans, not nearly as annoying as Cub fans. But Ooh, just... that's for another show. Shots right. fired, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right, pal. It's time to bring in our jazz band here and fire things up. Yes. It's time for headlines that make you do lines. Oh, yes. February 16th. Two days after Valentine's Day. I can't wait to find out where Mr. Cutie took the lovely grace. This wonderful Valentine's 2022. Last year, you couldn't even go out, I don't think. So uh, let's find out about it. So, pal, what do you got? Where do you want to start, buddy? Well, I'm just going to answer your question. Grace and I went to a lovely seafood restaurant. Did you guys have steak in the the house last year on paper plates or something? Known as Burger King. Oh. No, we we went to, we went out, we uh, went out to a restaurant this year, unlike last year, had uh, seafood. It was glorious. Um, I won't say the name of the restaurant because, you know, they're not a sponsor of this fine, high-quality program. But it is a chain restaurant, but not a Burger King. Red Lobster? You guys have Red Lobster down there? No, it was a little bit more swanky than the, the, communi- than the communist Remember lobster. Remember all the treats? Did you ever have a- We have none of those around here. We have one Long John Silver's within 50 miles of here. That's as far as we get with seafood restaurants. What was the name of the, the seafood restaurant in Fast Times Regiment High that... uh What's his face? Just working part time with the pirate hat on, hat. and he was driving his car, making deliveries, and the yes. girls were looking at him, and he thought they were checking him out, and then he's like, "Oh, I got this pirate hat on." Yeah, yeah. that was awesome. Great, great movie. folks, great film out there, folks. Great if uh, if you haven't seen it yet, they're Fast Times Richmond. For all you young honchos out there, listen, 
So let me uh, let's do a couple headlines. We're going to sandwich the uh, the Valentine's Day. I have another map, another list of states, because you know I love the the states, the lists by state. Uh, but let me get to this headline: uh, Motorist busted for plowing truck into car carrying snowblower thieves. A Wisconsin man is facing a felony charge after using his truck to T-bone a vehicle carrying two people who had just stolen a snowblower from his family's garage. According to cops, Corey Sanderson, 29, intentionally plowed into the driver's side of the getaway car as it turned onto a street a few blocks from his Madison residence. The vehicle's occupants, a man and a woman, suffered serious but not life-threatening injuries and were transported late Monday night to a local hospital, investigators say. Sanderson told Madison Police Department officers that he, quote, saw two people steal a snowblower from his garage and began following them in his truck. He reportedly admitted intentionally T-boning the other vehicle, prompting cops to, arrest, cops to arrest him on felony reckless endangerment charges. A police spokesperson said there was probable cause to arrest the thief suspects for burglary. A snowblower was found in the trunk of the car that was involved. Now here's the coda. Here's the kicker to the story. In a police interview, Sanderson said his home was involved in another recent burglary an apparent reference to an incident he detailed in a February 5th report in which he told some friends that, quote, some ass clown broke into his family's <laughs> garage and stole his father's Briggs and Stratton snowblower. So, apparently stealing snowblowers in Madison, Wisconsin. What goes on? But, I don't know. I guess the, uh, well, what is the, uh, the, um, the chain supply is really, really bad. Yeah. No snowblowers to go around in Wisconsin? So I believe part of the article was, you know, he, checks out eBay and other auction sites to see if his own snowblowers and his parents' snowblowers have been uh, have been listed for sale. What a world when you got to do that. Yeah. Your shit gets stolen, and you got to go on eBay to see if somebody's selling your shit. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right, we got a little Valentine's Day trivia. Do you know how much money uh, we spent on Valentine's Day candy this year? Um, <laughs> Just take a wild guess. And it's up 10% last year. Uh, is, look, sorry for my. Uh, it begins with a B. Sorry for that, folks. Uh, because you know when you try and do two things at once, like think. Right. I was going to say, is it in the billions? It is twenty-four ba ba billion dollars spent on candy, and so uh, according to a uh, candystore.com. They have ranked states by how much money they spend. They don't give you the total, but the states are ranked by how much they spend on candy and their first, second, and third choices. And I learned something new when I was reading this. Uh, do you know what Cupid corn is? No, never heard of it. It's candy corn, except it's pink and white and red, and I assume it tastes has a strawberry or raspberry taste to it as opposed to the whatever, whatever flavor candy corn is. Hmm. Cupid corn. So, I mean, most look, most of the, the entries here are conversation hearts, Hershey kisses, chocolate uh, roses, heart-shaped boxes of chocolates. Uh, and then you get and the, uh, candy necklaces. And then you get to this rather curious one, uh, Tennessee, which is the one, two, three, four, five, the seventh. They spend the seventh most money on candy in Valentine's Day. Heart-shaped box of chocolates was number one. Then ch conversation hearts. And then only in Tennessee, I suppose. Wild berry Skittles. Really? It was the only entry that was not in the, you know, romance, Valentine's, typical Valentine's Day candy sort of presentation. 
even uh, Alaska, which was the spends the most money on candy, had uh, cinnamon bears, which is kind of Valentine'sy as their third choice. Um, New York, if you're wondering, which is on the one one of the low ten or the bottom ten, uh, Maryland was the second, really last in terms of spending money on. Not a uh, lot of love there. Candy. Huh? Maryland, M&M's first, then Conversation Heart, then the heart-shaped box of chocolates. Uh, New York was uh, one, two, three, four, six spots ahead of Maryland with heart-shaped box of chocolates, Conversation Hearts, and Cinnamon Bears. Washington, D.C. finished just below New York with the exact same top three. So there you go. Alaska, number one. Pennsylvania, number 51. If you count the District of Columbia, they ranked last. So there you Bravo. go. If you're curious. Bravo. Lots of money. Hold that's on. it. They all follow that same chocolate hearts. We have a right to know who spends the most money on candy and Valentine's Day. Of the top three, Alaska, Arkansas, and California. And then Florida. Hey, Florida coming in at number four. That's why the dentist is so busy in Arkansas. Yes. Exactly. And they all, again, follow the same pattern except for Tennessee with their wild berry Skittles. I feel like if you show up, and that was the third most purchased candy, if you show up at your significant other's house and instead of flowers and a box of chocolates, you're like, here's a sack of wild berry Skittles. Here you go. Happy Valentine's Day. Or cinnamon bears, which uh, turns out to be very popular. Nothing wrong with the cinnamon bears. I'm just saying, it seems the wild berry Skittles, they come in a bag. Like you bought at 7 Eleven. There's no real presentation to it. They're delicious. But, but it's not a Valentine's Day thing. I mean, I guess in Tennessee it is. Look, Valentine's is not a Valentine's thing. It's a made up goddamn holiday, so everybody can go out and spend a lot of money. I mean, it is. somebody, the guy who invented it obviously was like the first florist. <laughs> Because they just rake it in, man. I mean, what? It's it's like Mother's Day, you know, Valentine's Day, Easter, yeah. you know. And I love how the card industry, you know, our good friends at Hallmark, oh, also not a sponsor. The same card, you know, Sunday before Valentine's Day is 4 bucks, and then on Valentine's Day it's $10, and then it goes back down to 4 bucks again. Take the same card, add a little glitter, say Happy Valentine's Day, throw in the word love a couple times, boom, done card is you know twice as much as it was before but whatever that just goes to show that you and i are in the wrong business that's so that's all country buddy all right pal i think you got a little story one more headline here one more hey you know what month this is you know what month this is you know well i'm a chicken fried music for you here all right anyway do you know what month this is I think it's February. It's also Black History Month. Oh, yes. Familiar. So here's the story for you. For all you pals out there, this is from um, from the Boston Globe. A fine, fine paper. Uh, Headline, Westwood, Westwood Catholic School apologizes for offering fried chicken as part Jesus. of Black History Month celebration. Oh, Please hold. Come on. <laughs> come on. Come on. Uh, leaders from Xavierian, that's not easy to say, Brothers High School in Westwood are apologizing after serving fried chicken to students as part of their Black History Month celebrations, a move you think some are calling insensitive and racist. 
We are deeply troubled and disheartened by our failure in this instance and take full responsibility for it. Jacob Conka, head of the Catholic high school, said in a statement, I offer my sincere apologies for the harm that our actions may have caused. But then after apologizing in the very next paragraph, uh, Conka goes on to say that the fried chicken had been suggested by an African-American cafeteria worker. Way to pass the buck who, quote, asked to share a piece of her culture by creating menu items to represent historically Southern black cuisine, according to Conca. At the time, we saw this as an educational opportunity for our young men and, and worked with our Office of Community, Culture, and Equity to help frame the initiative, he added. Oh, uh, let me, before I go any further, let me not bury the lead. There were 988 students at good old Westwood Catholic High School or Xavierian Brothers High School. Do you know how many of those students are black? I don't know, pal. How many? Uh, not 988, 30. So I'm pretty sure that whoever's making the decisions other than this unnamed cafeteria worker are probably all white. Uh, on Tuesday, the plan was to serve special meals for Black History Month, including the fried chicken, which was announced over the PA system that morning, adding that there was an attempt to add additional historical context during the announcement about how uh, the women in the post-Civil War era would travel in the South selling fried chicken to earn money, which is actually true. But when people think fried chicken and black people, they don't think of the historical accuracy of how people made money in the South after the Civil War. They think of it as, you know, the stereotype of. So this story is from like 1963, right? This isn't. No, like... Sadly, the story is from last week. Oh, come on. Hey man, I don't I don't write them. I just find them. Hold on, we them. have we have somebody who has something to say about this right oh, now. Oh no! Just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. That's fantastic. Was that the head of the uh, of the Catholic school? I believe I have a similar apology coming up later in the show, Graham. Oh my. <laughs> Although not, not really an apology, but similar to that. We can't. So there you right, go, my friend. You know, you um, every time we think we're out of those out of the woods on things like that, the stories keep coming. So, just you promise, know. promise me you'll bring back stupid criminal headlines soon. Oh, I well, I had the the snowblower one. I believe me, that's the first thing I look for are the stupid criminals, and then when I don't find them, I find you know stupid educational officials. <laughs> oh man. I mean, even if, look, look, even if that was true, and it probably is, that a cafeteria worker suggested fried chicken, you, you got to say to yourself, hmm, I don't know, how's that going to, no one's going to ask who suggested, they're just going to read, some some bald dope is going to read a headline about our school saying we serve fried chicken on Black History Month, and they'll be hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing. Oh, and the students, black and white, thankfully, ah, the young, thought it'd be racist and insensitive, so... Nobody under the age of 30 was particularly happy with this move. It's a head shaker. All you can do is shake your head and go, what What are you thinking? Not the dopes of the week, but real close. Oh, man. All right, wait till you hear, Just to tell you, if they weren't the dopes of the week, wait till you hear who is the dope of the week. <laughs> hey, now, a little tease for you. That's so what we're all here for, buddy. Keep listening. This is all just unnecessary banter, banter until we get to the DOTW later. So. Yeah. We're all yes. very excited about it. Uh, this is just in the New York Knicks are up on the Brooklyn Nets, 65 to 52 for everybody. Not battle of New York. Who wants to know what's going on. So, um, all right, pal. So, we, uh, I think there was a big Please. game on Sunday. There was. And, and um, 
it's time to bring our top uh, honcho uh, experts right now to kick off our NFL segment. Uh, is, this, last, is this the last one, right? Last one till you know, August, I guess. Wow. Sad face. Should do I, we keep um, them on the payroll during the offseason? Do we have them do investigative reports or anything, or we just tell them to stand by? Well, maybe, but before we bring them in, I mean, this, seeing that this is the last one coming up. Um, nope. I just, you know, just want to set the mood here. Because uh, the rest of the show, ladies and gentlemen, after the Super Bowl recap, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the rest of the Honcho's episodes from now until August, I guess. Until the Commanders, or the, Com- the Commodores, as I call them, start training camp. Great minds think alike. <laughs> All right, with that, let's bring our boys in. Here we go. For the last time this year. Al, you old son of a bitch. How you doing? How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins, fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed? Bewildered? This is very exciting. Yeah, it is, fella. Oh, right on, amigo. Damn straight. Damn straight. <laughs> Fucking A. Fucking A, right. Ah! ah, Super Bowl 56 is in the books, ladies and gentlemen. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to talking about this because I thought it was a pretty damn good one. It was. It was and I'm looking forward to Mr. Cooney's uh, recap, review, uh, and all that other good stuff right here on the Sports Honchos. As the National Mediocrity League redeemed itself it sure in did. the playoffs well, the whole and the playoff. Super Bowl. After a super wild card weekend, which was anything but, they, it, playoffs were just outstanding. And, you know, I had no real dog in this fight, so I'm happy the Rams won. I was kind of rooting for the Bengals a little bit, just, I don't know, because the old Joe Burrow thing seemed much more fun than the best team money can buy aspect of the Rams. But look, I'm happy for Matt Stafford and, you know, that redemption arc that he was on. It was a good game. Uh, not the greatest Super Bowl of all time, as some would say, but a really good, exciting game. There were, there were lead changes. Who the said that? Not, I want a name. Chris Collinsworth called Come that last on. drive. Called oh, that last he, drive because the he Bowl, was because he was doing the analysts of it. The greatest drive in Super Bowl history, which oh, it's not. On. Sorry, but the game was very good. Twenty-three twenty. There were lead changes. The game was in doubt all the way to the end. Uh, you know, big ups to the Rams and Cooper Cup, the MVP. Although you could argue that. Uh, Aaron Donald should have gotten the MVP. Well, those two guys alone. I mean, yeah. They, they were In the fourth quarter, which is when you want to put the game in the hands of your stars in any sport, you know, when the game is coming to an end, you know, every – there was no Odell Beckham. He got injured in the first half, and Van Jefferson was pretty much a zero, and they had nobody – on no tight end to throw to, and they couldn't run the ball. And everybody knew that – Cooper Cup was going to get the ball, and yet somehow he, Stafford still managed to find him, and Cooper Cup still managed to catch him. And the one guy that you got to you got to plan for on the defensive side, Aaron Donald. You know, at the end, when when it counts the most, just like we talked about Ray Lewis and Dick Butkus the week before, you turn to your playmakers. That's why they're your playmakers. And look, I said it last week. It came down to offensive versus defensive line, and for the first half. The Bengals' offensive line was playing out of its mind because there was there was I think it was one sack in the first half, maybe clean pocket for Joe Burrow. 
And I, I, look, I don't want to take anything away from the Rams. They won the game. They were the better team that day. You know, again, congratulations to Sean McVay and the whole coaching staff. But thirty six years old, buddy. Thirty six, and you know he's you know dangling that whole oh, "I may retire" thing out there. Good he, for him. He, he's he's not going anywhere. He just wants more money. And Aaron Donald is not going anywhere either. He said this might be my last game. It wouldn't surprise me if he retired because he's going to retire as one of the greatest to ever play the game, if not the greatest of this generation, but I'm getting far afield. Um, the Rams were helped by some extremely questionable coaching by one Zach Taylor. I mean, yes, his coaching got them there, but some of the things that we've seen throughout the year sort of manifested itself and came back to haunt the Give me a couple bank. of examples, or, or, so, or do you okay. have this prepared already? Yeah, no, no, I'm just going to let you know that, first of all, that the very first drive, the Bengal drive, where they're at the uh, midfield, fourth down and one, and they go for it. I mean, it's the first quarter. I understand you want to be aggressive against a team that has as good an offense as the Rams have, but at the same time, if you don't get it, then you're giving the Rams the ball in the 50 or thereabouts. So it's just way too early in the game to be that aggressive. You can be early in the game when it's 0-0, you can be aggressive, and you stop the Rams on their initial drive. You can don't have to be so aggressive, okay? And no, I don't think that was what sealed the deal for the Rams. Just that kind of set the tone for some questionable decision making. Um, two turnovers turned into three points. I mean, the Rams, one of the few Super Bowl teams to have a turnover deficit and win the Super Bowl. Oh, and by the way, a little Super Bowl trivia for you: for all you overtime rules are unfair, the coin flip shouldn't decide games. People, the Bengals are now the eighth Super Bowl team in a row to win the coin flip and lose the Super Bowl. Wow. So, bravo with that stat. Take that for what it's worth. Um, and also, as one more thing, now Joe Theismann, a former Redskin great, not a commander, former Redskin great. Now he can rest easy since he is now not the only Super Bowl quarterback named Joe to have lost a Super Bowl. So now Joe Burrow joins him. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. You are you are you're being treated every week to this kind of, um, you know, greatness here, and that is Mr. K- the mind of Robert Kuhn. So what stood out to me the most? We'll get to that last drive, which was disaster. By the way, let me just say as a disclaimer, I realize it's very easy for us to sit on our tuchim and question coaching decisions. Well, by the way, this know. is all you. I haven't said a word yet, so don't include we in this, okay? Well, I mean, the people that watch football, not you and I, but me and everyone else who watches when we question coaching decisions. But, you know, as someone who's watched my whole life, there's just some observations like the Rams defensive line came alive in the fourth quarter. But you know what drives a defensive line into slumber is just not the slobber knocking aspect of running the ball. And the Rams, the Bengals, excuse me, are running the ball behind Joe Mixon at about five yards per clip. And when you do that all game, the more you run, the stronger the running game gets as the game goes on, the weaker the defensive line gets. And at some first, he only ran the ball 15 times. And once they started abandoning the run and giving the defensive line a chance to catch its breath and catch a little momentum, that's when they came along. You know, the Bengals had the lead for most of the second half. They sure did, pal. And if they had run the ball more, now, I mean, you know, I, I'm theorizing here. You run the ball more in the first half, run it more in the second half. You don't allow the Rams defensive line to be as fierce as it was. And your offensive line continues to to build on that momentum. Now, 
I understand that that touchdown to T. Higgins to start the second half, which was clearly the result of him yanking Jalen Ramsey down by the face mask. Thank I mean, every, even Thank Stevie Wonder saw that. Um, that motivated and angered, and already motivated and angry defensive line, but not finishing them off had a lot to do with how little they ran the ball. Again, five yards a clip. The Rams couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, and yet the Bengal, and they kept trying to run, which 23 carries, like 30-something yards. I don't know. You know McVay, really until the end of that game, it's kind of a head-scratching coaching performance by McVay, but whatever. He's the winning coach, so I can't take that away from him. But when you're running the ball at five yards a clip against that defensive line, you're doing something right, and you got to stick with it. That last drive, though, and what, I mean, I'm not a football coach. I don't even play one on TV. But if we dissect it, you got you're down 23-20. Your first pass, you get 17 yards. You're now moving into field goal range, and you got you know balls the size of church bells. Evan McPherson on the the bench there, so you know you don't have to get too many more yards. You know maybe get to the 35. Somewhere between the 35 and 40 yard line for a legitimate, if not really good shot at tying the game, if not winning the game. First down, that last series, nine yard pass to Tyler Boyd. By the way, well, we'll get to Tyler Boyd in a moment, but nine yard pass. Now you got second and one. Second and one, uh, deep pass down the sideline with nobody in the zip code, nobody in the stadium who could have caught that ball. I don't know what Joe Burrow was doing, but he threw the ball to nobody. I mean, I think there was maybe a defender there, but no one was going to catch that ball. So that's a wasted down. Third down and one, you have the aforementioned Joe Mixon, who, again, been running about five yards a carry on the bench. You got Samaje Pirine in there on third down, and you hand him the ball, and he promptly gets stuffed. Now you're at fourth and one. You've now squandered the chance, two chances. Your entire Super Bowl comes down to fourth and one. You've got... Burrow, who, I mean, you saw when he had that injury, that look on his face, the screaming in pain, I don't think he just run back on the field after that. So he was clearly hobbled. I mean, ups, props to him for coming back on the field. He's not 100% at that point. You got him in the backfield, an empty backfield, which means you're going to throw the ball. You drop him back on fourth and one. He, he's, again, he's not as mobile now. He wasn't mobile to begin with, but now he's less mobile and he gets his clock cleaned. And, and and to make matters worse, and this is the greatness of Burrow, I guess, Donald's about to crush him into the ground. He flips the ball Patrick Mahomes style <laughs> forward, underhanded, like he's lobbing a softball to the aforementioned Samaj P. Ryan, who kind of just casually looks at it as it falls to the turf. I thought, I looked at it again on replay, he had a pretty good chance of catching that. Mm-hmm. And that's a first down. They got two timeouts, and they probably drive for a game-tying field goal, if not possibly a game-winning touchdown. If Mixon's out there, Mixon's catching that ball. Mixon can catch. He can run. Obviously, he can throw because he threw the first touchdown pass uh, for the Bengals. So I don't know what Zach Taylor was doing there in that series. And in and, and the series before, when it was 2016, Tyler Boyd, I mean, God love him, but... <laughs> On that third and seven, third and eight pass where they're trying to keep the clock going and keep the ball and just maintain that lead, the ball's right there in his hands. He turns around before the ball actually gets there. He may not have gotten a first down, but it would have been like an inch or a half a yard that needed for that first down. I, you you got to be sick if you're him. But what cost him the game, that last drive, I, I, just, I don't get it. I don't get what you're doing there. 
you run at five yards a clip and you put in the other guy, P. Ryan, who's a fine receiver, I guess, on screen, you know, bubble screens on third down, but not, they don't hand him the ball on third and one, and they don't put your, your injured quarterback in an empty backfield on fourth and one and hope for the best. I don't know why more teams don't just put the old jumbo package in and go for the the lean forward first down. If Tom Brady can do it, and he's, yeah, Tom Brady he's, different he's totally immobile, okay, then I'm sure you can put that Burrow can do it or anyone can do it. It's just not used enough. Teams try to outsmart themselves on fourth down with trick, you know, with the trickeration. It's, you don't, yeah, we, you know, we real quick on this, Rob, we've talked about this during the football season that, you know, a lot of things, we don't know what's going on on the sidelines. Right. We, and we you're right. And, we don't and know that's why where, I put that disclaimer out there. You put a disclaimer out? Well, I just said that I realize we're sitting on. It's easy for us to say this sitting out. Oh, know, that was here, that was so long. Well, you said that so long ago, so I don't remember the stuff that that far back. Yeah. But I'm what anyway. Regardless, we've talked like you know during the regular season where we have no idea what's going on on the sidelines. We have no idea in terms of the confidence of say head coach Zach Taylor and certain guys and certain personnel. You know, so right. you know, in comparing what what kind of weapons or experience guys Brady had and all his championships or his games or whatever compared to what, you know, Burroughs, you know, had at him. I mean, yeah, I think I, I agree with this. There's a lot of questions in terms of, you know, decisions that were made. I will say one thing. I thought both defensive squads played amazing in the second half. It yeah, was, I mean, the Rams were doing nothing. off. Neither team was doing anything offensively until the end. It's like both they had the offense in the first half and the second half. You know, again, the Bengals had the lead for most of the second half. The defense was doing their job. And you brought uh, it up before, too. I mean, if it's not for the, the missed face mask, I mean, the Rams really win this game 23-13. But there was a makeup call. I mean, that third and goal was like third and eight or third and goal from the eight. And that phantom, and I was in phantom, that ticky-tack could have gone either way, holding call on Logan Wilson, the linebacker, on, on Cup, which gave him a first down. But ha- that happens know. in the red zone in the NFL all year long. Once you have that defense pushed back with limited right. amount of uh, space and real estate, you can mm-hmm. pretty much th- – the defensive team basically has to play perfect. Right. Now, the the, the, the holding call later, the next call – that was a, I mean, that was a mugging of, of mm-hmm. Cup where they gave him the ball in the one. But I think that call doesn't get made, the one on Logan Wilson, if the call on Ramsey hadn't been missed or the call on T. Higgins. I mean, the, one thing that we noticed, the officiating was great in terms of they were almost non-existent throughout the entire game. And then somebody must have said, you got to throw a flag once in a while. And they decided to do it. All the flags they would have thrown, it seemed like they were throwing right yeah, there in the whole, last couple right. of days. All right, hold on. On that point, though, we, like I said, the def- the game went very quick, right? Yeah, because there were no, the, not a lot of penalties and a lot of running. There wasn't a lot of penalties and a lot of running because both defenses, especially in the second half, were just stopping each right. each other. So you you had both defensive. You know, it's more taxing on the defensive team. I think the, the more you got to play and the quicker it's got to go on there. So usually right. you're counting on your offense to have long drives, to, so your defense is rested on the other side. That wasn't happening in the second half. Both squads were coming back on, back yep. and forth. And if you look at how much work the offensive team is really throwing at the defensive line, it's a run here, a miss pass here. The defense is always on its back legs, and you know, outside of your rushing, you know, four or five that are going in or whatever. 
So you had that in the second half. So these guys were tired. So you get down to that last drive there, and like I said, they had to be perfect. And the Rams just kind of clicked. They had that that you know yep. that drive there at the end. To, and the, and the Bengals, they were maxed out. They were tired because both defensive squads were gladiators. Man, they were just. <laughs> Not letting anything happen offensively, and then it just comes down to time and, and who was more tired and who was perfect and who didn't make the mistakes. And I think that was the great thing about it. You take away, like I said, the face masks and, and, and whatever. It is what it is. The refs are going to miss stuff, and people talk about, yeah, the, 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 the calls at the end or whatever the heck it is. But the Bengals got the ball. They had possession as equal as, as the Rams did. They just, at the end of it, didn't make it count. And you you look at the playoff games that we watched before in terms of who had, who won at the end, those wild finishes, right? It came down to who had the ball last, and they won. Yeah, and, and, and for Stafford, you know, people talk about how it was three straight game-winning drives that he uh, engineered in the playoffs. And and people forget that – you forget a lot when you're, you're playing Detroit. But I think of quarterbacks now – in terms of game-winning or game-tying drives in the fourth quarter, people forget that he's got 40, I believe, 40, 41, some really high number. I don't know if it's the highest of amongst active quarterbacks, but he's been doing that his whole career. It's just when you play in Detroit, that kind of thing gets buried. So Stafford had a kind of a meh game. I mean, one interception was clearly not his fault. The other one was... I don't know what he was doing on that throw, but he had, you know, a meh game. But when it counted, just like in the the San Francisco game before that and so on, um, he put together the the drive that counted against Tampa Bay. Again, it helps when you have Cooper Cup there. The X factor to me, though, was Von Miller. Adding Von Miller to that defense, again, the linebacker, takes some of the pressure off that defensive line. Now you're looking at, you know, Aaron Donald and company and Floyd, and then you got to – keep someone at home to, you know, check Von Miller. And then he you have disruptive. That's a fantastic point, especially up against as much as we love Burroughs and everything else and what he did with LSU and stuff. But he's pretty much still wet behind the ears as far as you know, he's he's gonna get back there. I I'm pretty sure he's just yeah. he seems to be that kind of a guy. But he'll get back before the uh the Rams get back. That's my hot take alarm. Hot take alarm. Well that's for another it's, show. I mean the Rams yeah. probably you know, it's all downhill right. from here. But you know, you, you, you bring up those great things. Could you just imagine, you know, you're in the Super Bowl. You're a young kid like that. You're stepping up at the line right now, and you're looking out, and you're seeing those three guys that you just brought up and, and the decisions that you got to make. And then, you know, a couple of Bengals guys, their timing was off on patterns, uh, yep. drop balls. There's so much so much can happen in, 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 in a one-game elimination. It's not like hockey. It's not like MLB. It's not like NBA. That's it. You get one shot at this thing, and yep. your mistakes are just magnified. And and you brought up something else that reminds me about in terms of coaching. Wet behind the ears, you know, uh, they're both young. Taylor and McVeigh. McVeigh has more experience than Taylor. In fact, you know, Taylor was, uh, I think, the quarterbacks coach for Sean McVeigh. But the Rams were playing with their third string tight end, this guy um, Hopkins. And you, you know, you talked about timing being off. He's wasn't even the starting tight end on on the Super, on Super Bowl Sunday, and yet the timing he caught uh, you know four or five very timely passes, and somehow some way even though he should be third or maybe even fourth on the depth chart as tight end, he still contributed, and that is coaching, making sure that all the players 
even when they don't with no prep time, no warning, when they're thrown into a situation like that, they're ready to play. And that's, you know, attention to detail. And also, as you said, Matt Stafford probably demanding more of his receivers than Joe Burrow might at this point in their careers. Um, you know, that's coaching, that's experience. And the other thing I want to ask you too, when you, you look at, you know, you could obviously see McVay's play there, you know, with Stafford and Coop. I mean, that's basically what was going on. And if you look at like, you know, Brady and Gronk, you know, Gronk, you know that, that that's who they're going to. Right. And, and it's that's amazing great. how, you know, the Bengals and, you know, other teams against the, uh, you know, Brady and the Buccaneers, in, you know, last year and say, you know, uh, the last two years, I should say, and all those years in, in uh, New England. Obviously, New England needs so many more different weapons and stuff. And, again, it all, all depends on what experience you have um, in your group, uh, where they're playing, who's not injured and everything else. And, you know, when Beckham went down, obviously a big part of it. But you, I want to ask you, how, this is still fascinating. It's, you know, if you take the hockey analogy of Ovechkin's always in that slot on the power play. You know they're going to him yep. for the one timer. He's always the left power play circle. Yeah, That's so you figure you, you see what Stafford's doing here at Cup, and it's like, how could they not just take him out of the game? And that's you know? but that's and, greatness. That's yeah. how you know that players, at least in this game, they're elite because you know the ball's going to Cooper Cup. There's no other option, literally. And yet he still manages to get open. And Stafford, one of those passes, I don't know if you, if you saw the replay, was a no-look pass. Oh, that was he's, brilliant. Oh, my God. Did you see the slowdown of that? Yeah, that was and incredible. he throws the ball to the right. I'm like, I who knew that Stafford was capable of that? I mean, I knew he was a good quarterback, but I've never seen that before. That was brilliant. And those are two guys who, I mean, apparently, if you listen to all the stories during the season, you know, they, they are the first two at practice facility during the week and they're they're working together and working on their timing and looking at film together and and you when you know it's coming and you can't stop it that's when you know you've got something special i mean look uh, there was a story that um jeff bostick or rusker one of the redskin offensive linemen was telling about a the championship game or a game against the cowboys chad maybe it was a maybe it wasn't a regular season game but anyway they were just running the ball with riggins up the middle. And at one point, the center, Bostic, or the guard, Grimm, says to Randy White, who's on the defensive line, uh, we're running the same play again. And <laughs> they still got the yards. I mean, you know, it's no it's no mystery. Uh, Sean McVay wasn't disguising anything. It was like, we're throwing the ball to Cooper Cup. He's, our, he's you know, he had the greatest season of any receiver ever. You know, he's, you know, the next Jerry Rice, et cetera, et cetera. So we're throwing him the ball. You got to, just like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was never a decoy. You know Jordan's getting the ball for the last shot in the, in the Utah series. He did. He made it. Yeah. You got to figure out how to stop it. And then that's, you know, no one has been able to figure out how to stop Cup all year. And you know and you know what? In football, too, I mean, you have the guys up in the press box. You have all the satellite, the pictures, the, the camera angles and everything. So they're looking at all the overview plays, right? They're rail, relaying this back, I guess, not quick enough. And that gets down to, I think that's a great, Especially in a, in that one game, you know, and that's what I love about the NFL playoffs is because it, it all comes down to that one game. And you have to think of all the things that are going on. We're all watching just run plays, pass plays as fans and everything. But there's all these chess matches that are going on behind the scenes, live, on the sidelines, special teams, coaches, guys up in the booth, offensive coordinators, back and forth, and they're just trying to outmatch each other. And it's yeah. 2022 you know, let's be honest with you. How many different kinds of plays can you actually run 
right. terms of formations. And then it comes down to your personnel on the field. And you have, like I said, you have to have timing plays as far as pass plays. You have to have your linebackers and your and your back end just, uh, you know, catching guys, playing guys, uh, coverage. It's amazing. And, and that is the beauty of the game inside the National Mediocrity League when it all works out really it's, well. It's, it's a very simple game. Throw the ball, catch the ball, run with the ball. And sometimes, you, again, you know who's getting the ball. You know what's happening. It's really difficult to stop it. It's, and sometimes uh, it's on the opposite. You know, there's just there's just sometimes just no way to penetrate the defense. You know, if it's the defense's day, it's the defense's day, and there's just it's just not your time. But you know, on Sunday it was the Rams' time at the end. And you know, whatever we want to say about the coaching job that Taylor did, and the fact that they only got three points off of two turnovers, you know, at the end of the day, the Rams won. I'm not. That's what I said in the beginning. They didn't lose this game. The Bengals didn't choke the game away. The Rams were the better team, at least at the end there. It, it, so congratulations to them. Matt Stafford now his Hall of Fame resume, which was already pretty pretty good, is now really shiny because great season, even though he led the league in interceptions, and I believe he's the first quarterback to win a Super Bowl after leading the league in interceptions. I was they were th- so many stats they were throwing out Sunday. About Burrow and, and and Stafford and what they've done this year, despite what you know their age and other things, it was just it's too much. But anyway, now he's got a Super Bowl trophy, Super Bowl ring. Wasn't the MVP, but they're not there without him. That's for sure. It wasn't a ride along. It's not Peyton Manning with the Broncos in 2015. He was an integral part. And again, three straight, you know, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, and then Cincinnati, three straight game winning fourth quarter drives engineered by Stafford. Which is what he does, but you know it's to Detroit. Nobody outside of Detroit knows what you know what he does. They just think he's a a stat patter. You know his nickname is Stat Padford. <laughs> you know all those things are now going bye bye. You cannot. You got. You can't. He's now in a in rarefied air. <laughs> and good for him because oh, absolutely, man. I mean, look, good he, guy. He plays hurt. Gives it all. I mean, played all those years in Detroit without complaint. And Detroit, Detroit did him a solid and said, we're going to ship you off to the Rams. And look how well that worked out for the Rams. <laughs> They're the champs, uh, baby. Ugly logo and all right now. Oh, that was the worst part for me. I think maybe that's why I was rooting for the Bengals. The Bengals uniforms, fantastic. The Rams uniforms, garbaggio. <laughs> yeah, we have to talk about that just for five minutes. Not five minutes, maybe 30 seconds. But I was really appalled when they came out with those. <laughs> I thought, because I had heard earlier, I think I even told you last week, that they were going to wear either the throwback whites or, you know, the old, the classic blue and yellow, Uh, but not that ugly, you know, weird number, kind of puffy, rubbery number in those, just, it was terrible. And was, oddly enough, because, you know, the NFL rotates who the home team is every other year, it's NFC. Mm Mm-hmm. This was the year that the AFC was the home team. And, I, and I'm not suggesting they, they, that really it means anything because it was still in Los Angeles, but because the Rams were the visiting team, the Bengals got to pick, you know, what uniform they were going to wear. So they picked, you know, wearing black as the home team. And I believe you have to wear, there's some sort of policy in place about you have to wear one of your regular 
uniforms. It can't be a, like a third uniform. Like there'd be no alternate third uniform like in hockey that you wear in the championship game. So they had to wear one of their regular uniforms. They wouldn't have been able to wear the throwbacks if they wanted to. Another dumb rule, by the way. Yeah, well. But it was nice to see at one point Terry Crews during the uh, some of the pregame festivities wearing a Eric Dickerson, a classic blue and yellow Eric Dickerson jersey, as it should be. Those are my favorite jerseys. Those are the, the Rams, best. yeah, the old Rams look, even the all white, the white. Yeah, and blue. I love the white and the blue. Classic look, you know, the old the Merlin Olsen days when they were yep. you know, the white and blue. Classic, simple, elegant. This new, I, blech, I just, <laughs> it's almost as bad as if the Bengals came out in the old helmets that said Bengals on the helmet instead of the tiger stripe. <laughs> The Bengals well, now 0-3 in the Super Bowl, and I believe they've lost yeah. all three Super Bowls by, like, 12 points. I mean, the last Super Bowl, they were victim of the Montana, the great Montana drive that ended with the John Taylor touchdown. And this one, they are the victims of the Matt Stafford drive. 15 plays, 70-some-odd yards, six minutes. You know, they again. They had the chance. They, they had, had the ball. Lead. They had the chance. Just, well, now Anderson, uh, Boomer, and uh, Burroughs can all go out and get some of a drink together. Yep. You know? Sure. Is Ken Anderson uh, still signing autographs? I believe he is still signing autographs. Oh, you know what? Uh, While you do that, I'm going to queue up because we're going to spend the next half hour uh, talking about the um, the halftime show. Uh, that went off without a hitch. One, two, three, and to the folks. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance. So back What'd you think, pal? Still with us. He's still with us. 73 years young. Um, the halftime show? I thought it was great. Ain't nothing but a jake bad. I don't know that it's the, uh, you know, Twitter yeah, was filled we, with people who were proclaiming it as the greatest halftime show of all can time. Can we stop with that? Yeah. And I would, I would point them to Prince, which I think was the best halftime show of all time. Lady Gaga, Bruce Springsteen. Bruno Mars. I mean, I put this show in. Jackson's was amazing. I put them in the top five or top ten. Look, here's what I want from a halftime show. I even wrote this down because this to me is what I'm looking for. Number one, focus on the performers, not the staging. I mean, you know, Prince was out there in 2007, just him on the stage in the rain. The purple rain. You know, that to me, I don't want to see all the the pomp, the circumstance, all the just give me the performers because they're only on there for a short time. So the staging and the theatrics don't really care. Uh, not too busy, meaning it's the performers and not getting the crowd involved and a whole lot of you know peripheral dancers and stuff. It's just the performers. And then finally, are they playing the hits? You know, it was not only was it great to see Eminem saying "Lose Yourself," which is a great song, but then the the tribute that um, Dre did to Tupac singing "California Love," which you know. It would have been nice, yes. As people said, it would have been nice to get the old, you know, Tupac hologram, but it didn't really need it. It was just nice they did the song, which is a great, great uh, song. So it was good. You know, halftime show was, it it met all three of my requirements, but it didn't blow me away as the best halftime show I've ever seen. I'm not even sure how you'd really pick the best one. I mean, Prince really stood out because for Prince to do a halftime show of a Super Bowl, it just seems so out of place. It just wasn't. It didn't seem like it was his style. He kicked and he crushed it. Yeah, he just. I mean, that was that was that was. Can you imagine being Dave Grohl? I've ever seen. Can you imagine being Dave Grohl at home, right? And he's watching this thing, and then Prince goes into the best, 
Which is amazing, you know? That's one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs, too. But could you imagine just as a fan of him and he's this icon? Yep. And he's playing Dave Grohl's song on yep. one of the most watched sporting events in the freaking world. And why does, why aren't the Foo Fighters doing a halftime show? Uh, well, because they play football stadiums all year long. Yeah. Now they get there. Look, uh, getting back to what you're saying. Look, to me, you know, I, I, you know, you know, I'm a music guy. You know this. Yes. You know, and you see fans of certain music getting upset with the, you know, the the music that's selected for the Super Bowl. And I just, I just don't understand the concept. It's like, if if we don't like what you guys are putting at the halftime show, so you got to put what we like. And then when what we like goes on the halftime show, then everybody who else doesn't like your stuff doesn't like it. You know, it's like, it's a one thing a year. It gets yeah. spread. How do you, with all the talent in the world, by the way, Bruno Mars was phenomenal too. Um, it's hard to do. And, you know, to go back and forth between rock, country, hip-hop, and everything else, everybody, how about you sit down? And you can't just put what you like in there. It's it's right. it's hard. And I you- think... You have to mix up the genres, but I think when I say play the hits, I mean, I like to see when they do the medley of songs, it just kind of falls flat. I'd rather just do one or two like complete songs rather than here. Let me give you a piece of all my hits. Like, you know, I when Bruce did the Bruce... fun, I want it to be fun. You know what I took away from the halftime show? It was fun. They, by the it way. was fun. And yeah. they were all having fun performing. Yep. And, you know, that's the first of all the Super Bowls, 56, that's the first hip-hop one. Yep. So everybody else, and I will, I'm going to warn everybody, because I'm going to use strong language right now, that's the first hip-hop halftime in 56 Super Bowls. So everybody else, shut the fuck up. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like it's hashtag Super Bowl so white. I mean, there have been plenty of performers of color throughout the last. Oh, they started doing real halftime shows in the early 90s. You know, before that, they had, you know, marching bands and up with people and that kind of thing. But then Fox started to counter program against halftime. Like they had it in living color. They did a special Super Bowl halftime episode and viewers were moving away from the Super Bowl into other networks. And so now the, then the Super Bowl said, well, we got to step up the halftime show game to compete with that so that we don't keep losing viewers. And that's when they turned to, you know, performers of the Michael Jackson, Prince, Bruce Springsteen sort of ilk, you know, huge megastars. How about not, this? It doesn't not matter. marching bands. <laughs> it doesn't matter what call they are. They're all fantastic performers. You yeah. may not like them. Look, I, I didn't think the Maroon 5 one was all that great. You know what I'm saying? But theatrically... Um, it it was you know he it was a strong performance as far as that that was a lot of distraction and all that other stuff. Right. I mean, the weekend you you couldn't even make sense right. out of what was, was going say, on. Last too. year's show, I didn't like not because it but was Justin the Justin Timberlake was amazing yeah. when he. Did. It was just it was he was dwarfed by all of his stage all the stage, you know, theatrics and but and he's a solo and, vocalist like he's yeah. he's a guy who basically work he sings to production and beats. That's yeah. not his thing, and, and you know I don't expect everybody in. in music i mean fans of music to understand that you know like katie perry did it she's a she's known for her vocals and obviously pop and all that other stuff you know um and every artist is different they bring a different thing to it and i just think you know for what is it 20 20 minutes that it's on 
Right. You know, if you don't like what's going on at halftime, then go get an extra plate of wings and shut up. You know, uh, you too had the unenviable task of being in the halftime show, you know, six months after September 11th. Um, they did that Super Bowl. And their show was really good. Very, I, I'll put this in quotes, understated. I mean, they're an arena rock band, but they managed to, to perform and not be disrespectful of the moment. I mean, that that's that would really be terrible if you had, you're the halftime show and it's like, hey, you know, we're still kind of... Well, they were the get, right band to have for that time. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, that's, you weren't, you know, you're not going to put, um, you know, Merciful Fate in there or... You know, yeah, I can put Maroon <laughs> 5 in there. <laughs> Who? So, yeah, I can put Maroon 5 on that show. That's yeah. uh, too big a moment. For, hey, Bruce would have been fine in that moment as well. Hey, I, you know, I forgot that. You know, I was looking at all the some of the past halftime shows. I forgot that Paul McCartney did a halftime show and did Hey Jude. I mean, you know, again, it's nice to have a mix of genres. So, And I said, as long as it meets these requirements for me, I'm fine with it. You know, I, I, at worst, I'll, it'll be on as background noise. Exactly. You know, if it's, if it's a band that I'm familiar with, I might pay more attention. But I watched this one because it was the first hip-hop uh, halftime show. And, you know, it was entertaining. It sure was. Well, look, pal, it's, it's, uh, we've we got to get, uh, get going here, buddy. Um, you wanted to talk about uh, – do you want to talk about the Commodores? Is that what you have here on your uh, – No, I, I would – that's um, not really – I mean that that's a, a long sort of slog through, but I would like to play one clip for you. Sure. You know about I I was going to talk more about you know the uniform and the logo and and how they rolled it out and how underwhelming the rollout was, but I have this um this is a about a minute and a half of uh you know the greatest athlete of my lifetime, John Riggins, former Redskin, and. For those out there, you know, a lot of people who don't live in D.C. think that, what's the big deal? You're just changing the name. Um, and I would say that those people don't know what they're talking about. As you said, they can go fuck themselves or get another plate of wings. But the 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 change from Redskins, well, I guess from Washington football team to Washington Commanders, it was handled so poorly, and it's such a, a break from the past, even though we were promised that some of the aspects of the team's history would be kept, but really even the colors of the uniforms aren't quite what we're used to. It's sort of like you feel like it's an expansion team, the brand new expansion, Washington commanders. So on John Riggins's podcast, and if anybody has the authority to talk about the name change and what it means to lose the name, it's hall of famer, Super Bowl MVP, one of the great Redskins of all time, one of the great football players of all time. And I just want you to hear how he describes what, where we stand now. Because he said, I don't want my name and number used on any commander's jerseys because I never played for the commanders. And so here's what I say to – this is what Riggins would say to all the people out there that say, well, it's just a name. What's the big deal? I got to tell you something. There's a there's a line in a poem, the dangerous the dangerous Dan McGrew by Robert Service, and at the end of it's about a miner who is out and he comes back and this girl, Lou, had basically used him, took all of his money and and you know and then but she was a floozy and as soon as he was out of money it was on to the next guy which happened to be dangerous Dan McGrew, but there's a line in it that says have you ever felt like your life had been looted clean of all that it once held dear. And I got to tell you, I would have never dreamed 
that that was the feeling I was going to end up with. I feel completely disenfranchised. And I cannot, for the life of me, this is me, John Riggins talking here, I can't understand how anybody who once played under the, the, the old franchise name, the, the original franchise name, could possibly want to be a part of anything with Washington Commanders. It just, like I said, I feel completely disenfranchised, and it's like all of a sudden you've entered oblivion. And, and I, I, you know, for the guys, I mean, everybody's going to make their own decision, and that's cool. The, you know, it's like the guys that showed up last week who were out there, Dexter and some of the other people, Joe Theismann and Mark Mosley and Doc Walker and all of For you guys, you've got a different point of view because it's like a different culture. But for John Riggins, and I, and, and for the life of me, though, I, I got to say this, I kind of look at them and go, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? You were invited to your own funeral. You got to, you know, view the, but not everybody looks at it that way. And, you know, I, I think too much because I drive around, you know, for miles and miles without listening to a radio. So I got Turn my own damn radio just a little bit. I got my own. That was, uh, it was Riggins on his podcast, cleverly named the John Riggins show. But th- when he says, I feel disenfranchised, I mean, he th- he's not the only one. I mean, I've heard other former players say basically the same thing. So it's, it's, it's some tough sledding there with the new name and the way that it was rolled out and all the time they had to plan for it. And it's pretty much, they, they, it was just underwhelming. There was no pomp and circumstance. They just said, hey, it's the commanders, and and here are our new uniforms, and the logo was terrible, and on the patch, the crest, whatever you want to call it, they got the years of the Super Bowl wrong. <laughs> you know, they, they played the Super Bowl in, in February, but it's the preceding season, so the Rams are the 2021 Super Bowl champs, not the 2022 Super Bowl champs. So their skins won in 82 the 82 season, the 87 season, the 91 season. And they have on the, on the, on the, whatever you want to call it, the crest, 83, 88, and 92. 83 was the year they got boat raced by the Raiders, 38 to 9, and what was then the worst Super Bowl loss in history. 88, they didn't make the playoffs, and 92, they were out, uh, I think, in the first round. And that was Joe Gibbs's last year. So those are three terrible years. Uh, and they put that right there on the patch. So it's just, it was all, it was handled very poorly. And it just feels like it's a team that's now populated by a well, lot of new I, people. I think who I know don't why. Understand, don't understand the history of the team. I'm not saying you know. I'm not saying embrace the racist past or whatever you want to call them. I'm saying just the history of the team, the colors, the fans, what it means to people, tradition, et cetera. And they've kind of just thrown well, that all away. And they did in such a an underwhelming and and weak kind of way, and, and they expect all of the former players to jump on board. And people like Riggins are like, no, it's just it's it, there is no more. The team that we played for is gone. We have a new expansion team. Embrace it, love it. The Washington Commanders. They kind of remind you of the Skins with their with their colors, but they're not the Skins. They're the Commanders. And you know we'll have Redskins. We'll have Commanders. Two different worlds, and never. Ne'er the twain shall meet. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, no, I. Uh, it's all good because you know, like I said, this is. I thought I. I get what Riggins is saying. I get what you feel, and I would just. And I. I think I know why it was so underwhelming the rollout and everything else. And this is how I'll put it in perspective for anybody who's listening, and I'll put it in perspective for me. And again, we're gonna 
we all know why the name was changed. So that's that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, this is not a name change debate thing. That's yeah. not what I'm getting at. But picture, let's say the New York Yankees, with all their history, all their lore, all their tradition, all the great players, all the great memories, and they were told by the league or the powers that be, you can no longer call yourselves the New York Yankees. And you have to change your logo. And you have to change and you have to come with a whole, whole new type of branding. That is just absolutely impossible. It's an impossible task to try and recreate the lore and the legacy of a team that's so established from generation of fans and generations of fans. You can't. There's no way. If, like, you're the, you know, and I'm a design guy, I'm a marketing guy and stuff. If that job was thrown to me, I'd probably almost say, and, and I'll bet you maybe there's some write-up on it. You, I don't care how much money you're offered or whatever. That, that job offer comes across your desk. You now have to rebrand one of the most historic, stoic franchises in the NFL. Because if you think back of the old days and the, and the great games and, and the Cowboys and the rivalries and the Giants – and and just that, you know, the, the NFC East there. and the, All those great games and those great players and everything. How do you sit there and say, now you've got to, exactly what you said, you got to wipe it clean and you got to somehow sell it to everybody. But I, I think, I think to go it back to your... It can't be done. Right, to, but to go back, and it's an impossible task, you're correct, but to go back to your analogy of the New York Yankees, let's say, under your scenario, they, they decide to call themselves the New York Skyscrapers, some dopey name like that. Exactly. Okay, but, but okay, but but what they could do is because it, they you know you've always your team is always your logo. I don't mean the the guy with the, the red, white, and blue guy with the bat. I mean the NY on the helmet, which is iconic. They can keep the NY. They can keep the pinstripes. They can keep no. the numbers. Wait, hold on. Let me the, the numbers with no names on the back. You know, the first team to have numbers. You know, and and keep a lot of the aspects of the history without. For whatever reason, the Yankees were frowned upon. The name Yankees was frowned upon. You get rid of all that, but you keep. So it still feels like some vestiges of the team are around. So they, they in, in the Redskins case, they took one of the most iconic logos in sports. And whether you agree that it should have been replaced or not is beside the point. But they replaced it with a W. It looks like some elementary school kids uh, it's designed horrible. it. As a branding guy, it, the whole thing yeah, is horrible. terrible. And they, we were told, we were sold this bill of goods ever since July of 2020 when they said the name was being retired, that they were going to keep the colors. But they kind of did. I mean, I, I kind of like the all-black uniform. It's nice to bring that out once in a while. But the first of all, they, they're going burgundy and burgundy and white on white, which is terrible. Never go monochromatic. But the white uniform has very little of the burgundy and gold on it. In fact, the numbers look more cherry red than burgundy. That color scheme was a great, iconic color scheme, and they could still keep it. There's nothing offensive about burgundy and gold. They can weave that in to at least so it looks kind of like the uniforms we remember, but it's still – so it just – you want to – it's impossible to come up with a name everybody likes, which is why I said the name – whatever. It's They're going to have a name that I'm not going to like because it's not Redskins. But at least it's a name. But I was disappointed to see how far afield they were removed from 
the past. Even the colors were not really the burgundy and gold we thought they were going to be. And it just, you know, the the logo, the the, the branding of it. It honestly all, would it have been better on, if they had it, to just move the franchise out of the city and went to a different city. Well, that's why we talked about this before. I said, to me, it's a new expansion team. Well, new expansion being redundant. It's an expansion team. You know, it's like the Expos became the Washington Nationals. They're not the Washington Nationals. They're not the Senators from the 40s, 50s, and, and 60s. Okay, and, and hold that thought real quick. So take that, right? Mm-hmm. So the Expos, they became the Nationals, but they came the Nationals in a new city, a new right. arena. No, so, but, so there's still, and this is what I, I think what Riggins and, and yourself and all diehard fans of the old franchise and everything else, the Expos are still this magical team that used to be. Right. And even though they're not there anymore, they weren't replaced by another team in their stadium, right. another team in their city. They left. And you still have this, like the Expos to me is still one of the greatest logos, the greatest uniforms. They had great teams and it was it's excellent. So that's the difference here. And like they're still in your back. It's like, it, it is. I, I get it. And that's why I try to use, like if you're a Yankees fan or think of your team, you know, it's even like what they're doing with the uh, the Guardians in, in Cleveland. It's, it's, and, and what I don't understand, and I know we can't go too long on this right now, but there's so much money owned by these guys, like whether it's copyright, domain names, you know, searching for trademarks and everything else. I just, what I don't understand is the Commanders and even the Guardians, those are just two awful Awful names, and I they're always just, think they're like, generic. Never they're go generic wrong names. with naming a team after an, an animal or some kind of predator or something like that. Like, uh, and I don't get it. But anyway, I mean, but they look, they they. By the way, the the Nationals. One thing I do like about them is a couple times a year they have them in their throwback Montreal Expo uniforms. Yeah, which, and, the, and the Hurricanes do that too with the Whalers. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, it doesn't make but, the whole fans feel good. About no, it, I'll tell but you it's, that much. It's, it's a cool kind of tip of the cap. You know, there are all these names. Now they're just out. selling jerseys. They're just selling uniforms, course, Rob. But, but we like to think in, a, in an idealized world. The Avalanche have the old, you know, they put the, yeah. the old Nordiques right. jersey and all that stuff. There Come were on. names out there like Red Wolves, which, again, dopey. But at least in, like, the, so fan, the, like the fan mock-ups, Red Wolves, put, putting that aside for a moment, you can keep the team colors. You can go back to the Lombardi-era helmets that had the R, you know, a, a, a circle around an R. And yeah. then instead of feathers on the R on the circle, you can put, you know, wolf a wolf tail on it. But whatever it is, at least you're saying to the fans, we embrace the past, that which we can, and we're also moving into the future. And you had two years to kind of come up with this. That's why I'd love a book or a documentary to come out on who made these decisions. Right. It looks like they said, oh, we got two mo- two years, great. And then they woke up on February 1st and said, shit, we got nothing. <laughs> I know, right? We didn't do a damn thing. What are we doing? I want to know who came month? up with that stupid logo for the Rams and the color scheme. Ugh. These I mean, people. <laughs> and, and by the way, and just to put a, a bow on this. Before less people out there say, okay, you guys are so old. Way to go, Boomer. Uh, <laughs> I've heard, I, I listen to a lot of the sports talk radio around here. Young, old, almost dead, fresh out of the womb. Nobody likes it. I haven't heard anyone say, there's, there's a difference of opinion on the uniforms, and that's fine. But the name, no one's like, oh, God, this name is the greatest thing ever. 
So it's not just, you know, hey, this is for the youth. I think it's universally. We can only cross our fingers, Rob, that they've made a like a two-year deal, and then they can change the name again. But, and I'm going to tell you right now. They've got to change they the if, Yeah, if they don't sell mm-hmm. apparel, gear, forget about the, the team on the field and getting fans in the building. Right. But if these jerseys, these hats, these everything involved with the apparel and the marketing, if it doesn't sell, I will bet yep. you your glasses and mine that they are going to change the name again. They've already they've already blown it again as they ignore history by marketing a Sean Taylor jersey. Sean Taylor never played for the Commanders or the Wolf. He's a Redskin. And so and if they start messing with the past and saying, you know, the Commanders won the Super Bowl, they gotta, they can't just pretend like there was never a team called the Redskins. They have to embrace that as the past. Commanders now, Redskins yesterday. The Redskins won those Super Bowls, not the Commanders. Sean Taylor was not a great player for the Commanders. Don't put old the greats in Commanders jerseys. Just have great players who are Commanders use their jerseys and so on. But, but I'll bet you another thing, like you know, um, Riggins talks about all the guys who went down there and stuff. Whatever, mm-hmm. I, I. Well, you know they were offered a sum of money. Oh, of course they were. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, John Riggins, if he was paid enough money, he would say, okay, you can put my name on a commander's jersey. He's all about the money. He's going to be the first to admit it. But, yes, though they were not down there, you know, by the, out of the goodness of their heart. They were, you know, I'm sure they were given a few shekels. <laughs> It'd be great if— Little guy Snyder called them up and said, hey, come on, i, I give you $100 million. It'd be great if— Whoever owns the team next says, you know what? We like the name Redskins. So right here, NFL, as I give the NFL the finger, welcome back your Washington Redskins. But, you know, I'm not advocating. I'm just saying that would be the great FU to the league. Well, you know, like I said, we could go on and on and on about this. When something is something is something for so many years. So how long how long were the Redskins around for? What's the, what's the So they started in 1932. They were the Boston. They were the. They were the Braves. When were they called the Redskins the first? Um, right, I think right around the time they won their first championship in thirty-seven. So that's nineteen thirty-seven, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So when you have something that's, you know, embraced, accepted, built around, it's a concept. It's a, it's a team. It's a football. It's sports. America is, you know, we got into this last last week in depth, and we don't want to go there and stuff. But just in general, like I said, when something's been around that long, you know. Um, it that's it's hard to just kind of let it go. I mean, great, the intentions are there, and the debate and everything else can go on forever and ever and ever. And at the end of the day, it is just a sports team. Yeah, but, but it is. I I get where Riggins come from. I get where you come from. As much as I joke about it, and I've had all year and all that other stuff, but I do get it because I I'm lucky. For me, is in, in terms of my teams that I love. That doesn't how how can I really comment on it because I haven't been through that so I don't know what that's like you know yeah it's it's just I guess when people say that don't live around here and don't cover the team and aren't familiar with the team and haven't lived it they can't they say well it's just a name what's the big deal it, it's just it's so much deeper than that I I only I the only thing that gives me hope is and you know you'll you know what I'm talking about. When the Islanders had their, you know, Gorton's Fisherman uniforms, when they came out with that logo, and there was such backlash and outcry over it that they eventually went back to their 
classic logo. I'm just hoping that if enough outcry and backlash happens that they'll tweak the uniform and the logo and come up with something better. Dude, there's already, look, this gets back into money, okay? That fisherman jersey is coming back for whatever, a little tour third jersey or something. That's fine as a third jersey. No, well, they're, they're, there's, there's this huge rumor going around that they're going to do this, okay? Ugh. And I tell you why they're going to do this. Because, because of they, straight cash, homie? That's right, because right now the team sucks. They have a brand-new gazillion-dollar building, all right? And they're not going to make the playoffs this year. Now, I don't know if they're going to do it before the end of this year, but they might to make a cash grab, okay? Trust the Gortons, fishermen. Well, you know what? The, 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 I'll tell you what, the younger generation fan base of the Islanders, including my brother and stuff, they love this thing. They want it. They want it, and they want to have it, but not as the main jersey, not as the main sweater and the main logo anymore. But they want it, and it's it's going to be a huge marketing thing, and they're going to make a ton of money if they release it. Well, and again, as a third jersey, I'm okay with it. All right, I mean, I'll get you. I'm not an Islanders fan. I'm just saying, if they're going to, not as the main jersey, you don't bust it out. Believe me, no Ranger walls. fans want it back too, buddy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hey, the teams I see, like the Rangers, just like you know, just like the Yanks, they don't really mess with their uniform. No, a, a tweak here and there, but basically it's the same thing they've been wearing for. Even know, the Devils now, all they did was they put jersey on the jersey. Yeah, get out of here! It's <laughs> fucking copycats. All right, listen to you, pal. Before you turn into a pumpkin, uh, what do what do you say? We, uh, you want to save the Hall of Fame selections until uh, we get back? Yeah, it, it, I mean, I'm and just Kyle Murray. I mean, we, what we can do Kyle here, pal? We, we can, we're live on the air here. We can we can wrap up the NFL season fiscally, and we can go straight to the DOTW, and we can come back in uh, two weeks because we're uh, gonna take a break next week. But I'll tell you, we'll save Kyler Murray for when we come back and see how that situation resolves itself. You want to run through don't. a couple of these other things? Do we want to say no, welcome back say to Jack Eichel? Thomas Jack got Eichel's rocked. back tonight in hockey, playing for the Vegas Knights. So, congratulations to him after his hiatus Ooh, from his, his neck injury. Who? Jack Eichel. Oh, okay. Vegas Knights. Yeah, congrats to him. I'm sure they're throwing a party in Buffalo for um, his I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're all gathering around the Oval and watching the Daytona 500 on Sunday, correct? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Lakers need a big win tonight. They need some points. Uh, I know you want to win that. Harden Simmons trade. You want a couple of quick thoughts on that real quick? No, real quick? no, no, not really. You know, okay. fine. Here's here's my thought. It's one problem child traded for another problem child. Thank you. Well done. There you go. Well done. There you go. All they right, and, got what they deserved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, and and hopefully in uh, two weeks we'll have more baseball news. Um, congrats to Slovakia knocking out our our kids in the Olympics. The hockey team, uh, unfortunate for them. Uh, Ranger fans uh, are on Twitter world are not surprised because uh, David Quinn was coaching that team. And it's to his fault because they lost. Um, I, I'd like to talk about that maybe a little when we come back in terms of the scenario there and what happened. But anyway, uh, other than that, um, yeah. So we'll we'll wait until we come back to to talk about all this other stuff because we wanted to spend a lot of time on on the Super Bowl. So before we say goodbye to the NFL season, um, did you enjoy the uh, the twenty twenty one finish in twenty twenty two of the National Mediocrity League? After all is said and done. Always. It was, another, it was a great year. Especially since my predictions, the three teams, the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Bucks, didn't make it to the dance, buddy. I figured you'd be, you know, stomping on my head here. Nope. No I don't, good. Uh, no I don't, good. You know, predictions are, again, predictions, as to borrow a phrase, 
Predictions are like assholes. I can't wait Everybody's to do my preseason. One. I can't wait to do my preseason. And pre-season. they all stink. <laughs> Buddy, I can't wait to do my preseason NFL picks again next year. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you could probably do them right now, and it's going to sound roughly the same as your preseason picks last year. Oh, man. Good stuff. All right, buddy. Five minutes. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready? Ladies and gentlemen. Ready. It's time for the Dope of the Week. Dope of the Week. That's awesome, dude. That's right. Even at this late hour, the Gags Gang and I, oh, the Gags Gang, so put upon, underpaid, underappreciated. The Gags Gang and I spend countless hours each week in the basement of the Ghost Sports Media Complex to come up with each week's winner, and you, you can, much like Andrew Caton last week. You can, for absolutely no reward, save for our undying respect and gratitude. Help pilot the show by nominating your own Dope of the Week. Use the hashtag D-O-T-W on Twitter, uh, at Cuthbert Live, at Bitter and Rage, at Sports Honchos, at Go Sports Media Co. And who will be carrying the mythical Sports Honchos Dope of the Week cup around the ice rink of shame this week? Speaking of the Washington Commander skins, Jonathan Allen, defensive tackle of your Washington Commanders. Way to go, Jonathan! Allen, one of the Wolfskins captains and 2021 Pro Bowler, took to Twitter last Wednesday to engage Uh-oh. in a little AMA with his more than 68,000 followers. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything, which you know can lead to nothing but trouble when you invite questions from your mouth-breathing and knuckle-dragging sycophants into your social media home. It is like when Andrew Jackson celebrated winning the presidency by inviting the great unwashed into the White House. One member of the herd asked Alan, which three people, dead or alive, would you want to have dinner with? Or, excuse me, would you want to have at the dinner table? Oh, boy. Um, Alan responded with, with, in this order, uh, Granddad, Hitler, and Michael Jackson. I'm sorry. Uh what was that list again? Granddad, Hitler, and Michael Jackson? Perhaps we need to delve into that list just a smidge deeper. When asked to explain why he picked Hitler, Alan said, and I quote, um, he's a military genius, and I love military tactics, but honestly, I would want to pick his brain as to why he did what he did. I'm also assuming that the people I've chosen have to answer all my questions, honestly. And then he followed up with this gem. Um, Alan said he was merely saying why it would be interesting to speak with Hitler, um, not giving him, quote, props. He also said Hitler, the German dictator who initiated World War II and the Holocaust, killing millions of Jews, as easily one of, if not the most evil persons to have ever lived. But this was a hypothetical question. Now, before I carve up Mr. Allen, or should I say Herr Allen, I will tell you that Allen did apologize and I have a clip of that apology right here. All right, all right, I apologize. Really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. You take it back. I do. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family and I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. Okay, okay, that was not Jonathan Allen. Here is what he actually said. Here's his actual apology. 
Earlier, I tweeted something that probably hurt people, and I apologize about what I said. I didn't express properly what I was saying or was trying to say, and I realized that I was dumb with an exclamation point. Now, that was a very solid apology. It avoided all of the usual celebrity apology conventions like, I am sorry if you were offended, or let us all use this as a time for growth and learning, or even, I have no idea how my penis ended up outside of my pants. It was also timely, so I will not kill him on the apology. You know, I like Jonathan Allen. He's a great player and comes across as a thoughtful and intelligent person. But Johnny, Bubula, the first rule of being a public figure is when answering any questions, the philosophy is always ixnay on the Hitler hay. <laughs> Hitler is the third rail of all conversations. You can't even say something like, hey, you know who's a bad dude? Hitler. Never, ever, 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 ever intone his name outside of a history class or a documentary. Did I mention never? And as for the military genius comment, uh, Hitler was a below-average military strategist whose war plans continue to baffle historians. His generals begrudgingly followed his orders out of fear of being court-martialed, imprisoned, or killed. The most effective military strategy to come from Hitler was the plan to kill himself in his own bunker. Now, here is a sentence you never hear anymore, Mr. Cuthbert. Did we not learn anything from former Cincinnati Reds owner Marge Schott? She was another admirer of early Hitler and said so in an interview on ESPN in 1996. She said, and I quote, Hitler was good in the beginning, but went too far. What kind of cosmic scale of justice is Schott playing with determined that genocide is balanced by building a few roads. That did not work out so well for Marge Schott. She was suspended for two years and ended up selling the team. As I said, the third rail of conversation topics. Now, I do feel bad for his granddad. I don't know if Grandpa Allen is still signing autographs, but if he is, he must be pretty steamed. You find out that you've been invited to a once-in-a-lifetime dinner, and you show up to find your grandson... <laughs> Picking the brain of a genocidal maniac. It is bad enough that his grandson works for the most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL, but now he's name-dropping Hitler? Oi, Gewalt. And if Hitler is not bad enough, he also wanted to break bread with Michael Jackson, a suspected pedophile. What? Was Phil Spector busy? Did John Phillips of the Mamas and Papas have to check his day planner? Was Gary Glitter driving the carpool that day? There are so many pop stars out there living and dead, and you pick one under a, a cloud of child-touching allegations. I hope Alan has a long and prosperous football career because he could be the worst party planner of all time. By the way, the cherry on this insensitive Sunday is that Jonathan Allen was this year's Wolfskins nominee for, wait for it, the 2021 NFL Man of the Year Award. And one more thing. Allen was a standout at the University of Alabama. Perhaps he would have been best suited playing for the University of Nebraska. So, Jonathan Allen, for giving us the one thing that actually made everyone temporarily forget Dan Snyder, for your glass-half-full uh, view of genocidal dictators, and for hosting what could be the worst dinner party since the Donner Party, you are the Sports Honcho's Dope of the Week. Congrats, Johnny. Your certificate is in the mail. Go, John! You dope. Ixnay on the Hitler hay. That is rule number one. In fact, that's the first five rules of being a public speaker. The only good Hitler is a dead Hitler. Yeah. Ixnay on the Hitler hay. 
So there you go. That's why I said it, it's great. As bad as it was to serve fried chicken for Black History Month, this one's a smidge worse. What a world we live in there, Mr. Cuny. What a world we live in. And these these people. What do I mean yes. by these people? <laughs> Fucking dopes. They are. <laughs> oy, oy vey. But just remember, he works for this guy. Good afternoon. Um, first off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. So, what are you? Holy expect? shit! Now I know that you haven't watched Ted Lasso yet, have you? No. Oh, buddy. Now I just hearing that. I think that's where uh, Sadekas got the idea for Ted Lasso's voice. And where do you just go? You got to do me a favor. Okay. After we hang up here and uh, close the show out, you gotta just do a, like a Ted Lasso trailer or something. And where do you hear his voice? All right. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, ladies and gentlemen, me and Rob said we were only going to do an hour because, you know, we started late. Every time we say that, we go almost two hours. We can't, we never can do a show. So we miss each other. You know, seven days is a long time, you know? Yeah. But uh, we're going to take the uh, the week off next week because uh, Thank this truly is. Uh, I need to recover. Heading out of town. Gonna hang out with the, uh, the folks in the Gulf Coast, in the Bay of Tampa. Champa Bay, as it used to be called. Well, it oh, still yeah. isn't. Champa right? Bay uh, or Tampa <laughs> Bay. <laughs> uh, all good stuff. Hey, uh, for me, everybody, thanks so much for listening every week. We really appreciate it. Uh, we see your audience. Thank you. And uh, we always have to say thanks to the Dean Blundell Network for carrying us over there and amongst that great family of podcasts. Some cool stuff coming up down the road. Make sure you check out Dean Blundell. Dot net, uh, And with that, I will toss it back to my fine, handsome, young, and very smart uh, partner in crime here, Mr. Honchos himself. Mr. Cooney, say goodbye to the folks, ladies and gentlemen. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. There is no show without you. It's very simple. Listen, follow, subscribe. Ixnay on the Hitler Hay. Yes. Okay? Be nice to each other this weekend. Stay safe out there. Not going to be a blizzard this weekend, but still stay safe out there. If you see Willie Mays or any member of his family, big hugs for the Mays Mishpucha. Okay, and as always, friends, peace. Well said, well said. Go spots, honchos. All right, here. Two loops, everybody. <laughs>